how play therapy can be used by parents and caregivers to respond to issues and how mindfulness can be incorporated into everyday activities. Angela North is a psychologist with 30 years experience employing play therapy with children, adolescents and their families. And it can be used to help treat a range of emotional and behavioural problems. Along with Dr Stephen McKenzie, she's penned the book Mindfulness at Play. It's a guide for helping parents to really be in the moment with the children despite the distractions of busy lives. Angela North says the principles of mindfulness can help children with self-esteem and to manage their emotions. Good morning, Angela. Thanks for your time. Hi, Catherine. Shall we begin with mindfulness? It's become such a common term. Uh, uh, it's become in some ways perceived as a cure-all cure for many of our, our, our modern woes in this fast-paced world. What does it mean when you're using it and, and where and how is it applied? Um, yeah, a, a great question. It's, I guess at its simplest, I would see mindfulness as a path from stress and from suffering um, to something a lot more peaceful. Um, and as you say, we're all busy ticking off daily tasks and we kind of leave our untrained minds to wander all over the place. And unfortunately, our minds do what they're built to do, which is you know, fret about things that have maybe happened in the past or maybe, you know, stressing about things that might happen in the future. Lots of things uh, that we don't really have much control of. Certainly, we can't change the past. So we can find ourselves getting really stressed and we're missing the present completely. So mindfulness is a little bit like training our brains to come back to the present. Uh, and there's a lot of health benefits uh, that come from that. But even if you're just sitting in a garden and you uh, just notice the the plants and the smells and the colours around you, you know, it brings a great deal of peace. But I think the best thing about mindfulness is we we don't have to be sitting in a garden. We can we can do it anywhere and any time. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what it means to me. And it's certainly um, something that a lot of people have benefited from. In the context of parenting and particularly being with children, we know the curse of that done. Um, you know, a smartphone that has enabled such productivity in our work lives, perhaps, but so often takes us away from the moment. When you're approaching, uh, again, without wanting to take away from the fact that someone's got to tell you where they are or they've forgotten their lunch or, you know, um, or I'll yeah. pick up so-and-so, without taking away those day-to-day -day practicalities, how can you build really being in the moment in? What kind of tools can you use? Well, I think um, play therapy has taught us a great deal um, and play therapy is at its core a mindfulness practice um, and we can learn a lot from that in that we don't we don't need necessarily to, you know, get rid of those amazing tools that help us get through the day. Um, we can embed the way we respond to our children um, and to our colleagues and, and friends um, you know, in a mindful way. So this is where I guess we're transitioning from, you know, perhaps the typical picture people have of mindfulness, which is sitting on a rock somewhere and staring out into space or tuning inwards to something that's a lot more active. Um, and we can be very actively mindful with our children in the way we respond to them. And we can do that when they're happy and they're playful. Um, and there's lots of benefits to that because we're actually tuning, helping them learn to tune into themselves. Um, but I think it really comes into its own when children are upset. Um, if they're cross, even if they're cross at us, we can respond 
to the emotions that they're expressing um, in a mindful way. It's something that in mindfulness at play we call empathic reflections. Uh, and it's an amazing tool for communicating with children. Um, it helps children really tune into themselves and understand themselves better. Um, it helps them learn to calm down a lot quicker. So what we're really doing is helping them learn to regulate their emotions. And as they get older, they'll get better at doing that for themselves. Um, so, so are we teaching yeah. them some of the skills of mindfulness, which is just a kind of stillness and focusing on the breath, perhaps um, when your thoughts are distracted, using focus on the breath to come back to a point of focus. Are we teaching those skills to the kids? We, we can. And, um, you know, there's lots of um, fun activities that you can do as well with children. Um, and those are kind of like the practical, you know, uh, activities that we can do with them. Um, but we can also, you know, I mean, we know that as children get a bit older and certainly uh, teenagers, um, they are utterly disinterested in doing activities with us. I mean, I can't imagine too many 15-year-olds saying, yes, mum, I'll, I'll sit and take a few slow, deep breaths when I'm really angry about something that's happened with my friend. Um, some might, but um, plenty don't. So I think the great thing about empathic reflections is it's just a way of talking to children that's a little bit different to what we typically do. You know, when, when a child's upset, when our children are upset, um, typically we'll go straight into um, problem solving or maybe we might be a bit judgmental and, and sort of tell them off. Uh, we might give them a bit of a sermon about manners or so forth. Um, and all of those things you know, at times can be appropriate, but I think it's a timing issue. When children are upset, the best way to calm them down is to empathically reflect what you see in them. So the difference is that, you know, in the previous examples, if I'm giving them my solutions, um, I'm directing their attention to me and away from what they're feeling. If I look at them and I listen to what they're saying and I can see the body language and the facial expression, and I think, you know, I'm going to do my best attempt to reflect back to you what you're feeling. Um, and I might say something to them that reflects that, you know, it sounds like that really upset you. Um, the child is learning to tune in to themselves and go, yeah, yeah, that's what that is. And little children really need that because they're just learning the words for emotions. So this is going to build their language for emotions, which is really important. Um, and it does a few other things too. Um, you know, it's kind of like um, we're teaching them to look inwards and to kind of trust their gut instinct um, about what they're feeling. So can, you, so can you just give me an example of this? Is this like acknowledgement? This is like, so you are saying, so I hear this. Uh, is, is it like validation of what they're feeling? Could you give me an example? Mm -hmm. It is, and I guess you know. Um, I'm, I guess I'm cautious about the word validation, only because parents can get worried that it's the same as approving of certain behaviour or agreeing. But absolutely, it's validating the emotions. Um, and you know, if I if I give you an example of of how that can look, um, you know, if I go and pick up my child from school, and you know, she hops in the car and she's looking really grumpy. Um, and I hand her a muesli bar because that's what I usually do and, and she's going to, you know, feel better after she's had something to eat. And she says to me, you know, I hate muesli bars and she throws them on the floor. Um, and 
you know, I could immediately go into, well, you know, that that's not okay behaviour and, you know, don't speak to me like that and, and that's not good manners and all of those things. Um, but she's already overwhelmed by her big feelings. Something's going on there. And my reaction, chances are, is going to probably tip her over the edge. So now we're kind of both having a meltdown and, um, you know, and importantly, I think I don't really know yet why she's grumpy. So an empathic reflection is going to respond to that differently. And I might say, you know, you were hoping for something else, huh? And she might say, no, I hate muesli bars. And I say, you know, and now you feel really disappointed because there's nothing you like to eat. And I'm taking the wind out of the sails of her anger. And she'll kind of go, yeah. And and the teacher was mean to me today. I forgot my reader and she told me off in front of the class. And I might say, you know, that sounds really tough and a bit embarrassing. So now we're getting to the truth of what's going on here. Um, and she's starting to feel like she's processing the feelings inside her. And it doesn't mean to say that at some point I don't want to talk to her about manners and so forth. But, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that um, learning to manage big feelings is the biggest task of childhood. And it takes all of childhood to achieve that. So we want to give that the time it deserves and then come back to the, you know, great wisdom that we might have later on when they're calm. Yeah. You know, we can always come back to that. So there's, there's several things going on here. One is the calming impact. The second is that the young person is learning to express how they feel and think through mm. how they feel. Um, yeah. And another point you make is the idea of, of being curious about emotions rather than overwhelmed. And this is interesting, isn't it? Um, it's almost, this is the classic mindfulness, just sit, step back and observe. Um, That's right, yeah. And, and, and again, this can matter how, as they, as they grow, and obviously are feeling very, very strong feelings, including through adolescence, perhaps for the first time. How can you help a young person develop that skill of just observing what's happening rather than being ruled by it? Well, I think um, those empathic reflections achieve that because um, I, when I'm reflecting to a child what they're showing me and telling me, I'm doing it in a way that is non-judgmental. So I'm already role modelling that kind of, hmm, this is interesting, this is what I'm noticing. And my own calmness around that is something that I'm modelling and that eventually that they will take on you know, in their own way. Um, and it, it tells them, yes, these are big feelings because you can hear that in my empathy. I'm recognising that, you know, these are big overwhelming feelings for you, but I'm not afraid of them. Sometimes when our kids are spiralling, we spiral too. And little children will kind of hear that in our tone and hear our irritation and our own beginning, you know, to feel overwhelmed. And it tells them something. It tells them, yeah, look, even even mum and dad are overwhelmed by these feelings, must be a bit scary. So if we can learn to stay calm and practice our own mindfulness in those times, um, we're giving children uh, a nonverbal message. Uh, I know this is hard for you right now, but I'm confident in your ability to handle this and it will pass. And I think that modelling is is probably more powerful than anything we could directly say to them. Um, and it does have a huge impact on mental health because 
they're hearing our empathy in the face of all their big emotions. We know as adults, we have a voice in our head all the time, every, you know, all day we're, we're attempting to do different things and this voice is chattering away. And we want the voice in our heads and in our children's heads to sound more like a, a an inner life coach than an inner critic. Um, and that voice originates from us. So the more we practice empathic reflections with children, the more they're going to absorb that voice and that becomes the voice in their head that says, you're okay, you've got this, it will pass. It doesn't feel comfortable, but it will pass. And then in um, time, that voice becomes their own, yeah, as they that's mature. Right. Okay. Yeah. One, one further yeah. point, point on this, and that is um, we do seem to be having a lot of diagnoses, whether formal or informal, of young people these days. In many ways, that is good because that opens up opportunity for things that can help. Um, in other ways, it, it, there's a risk of kind of pathologizing, isn't that? All it's sometimes what are very common human experiences. And I'm wondering whether what you're talking about can be applied to young people who might be dealing with anxiety, who might have a diagnosis of dyslexia or a diagnosis of ADHD or anything else. Um, this way of accepting, um, is, it, is it helpful? Uh, very much so. I think um, when you talk about people, um, you know, children and adolescents uh, getting a diagnosis, sometimes there can be a lot of shame associated with that. Um, and that's another barrier to mental health, just, just the shame alone. Um, and the child can become also quite anxious about their anxiety. They can become anxious about their depression. So you've got kind of layers going on um, that make it harder to, to find recovery. So if we can decrease shame, um, we are effectively building resilience because, um, you know, mindfulness isn't about uh, sort of saying I'm amazing and fantastic and strong all the time. It's actually about accepting us um, you know, fully in, in all aspects of us. So it's an honest appraisal, but it's a non-judgmental appraisal. And that's the best thing for mental health for children is, is to be able to look at the struggles they're having and say, yep, I've got a way to go and I'll, I'll access as many, you know, supports as I can. But I'm not, I'm not going to buy into shame. I'm going to notice if I start, you know, thinking negatively about myself and I'm going to reframe that. And parents are hugely uh, influential in that. When your child comes to you and they have had a diagnosis of some kind of mental illness, um, we can be really scared for them. Of course we can. Um, but if what's coming out of our mouth is a bit of panic, then, um, you know, everybody's panicking and, and nobody's expressing any confidence. Um, so if your child says to you, um, I'm feeling really low again, God, is this ever going to change? Um, I hate this. I don't want to go to school. Um, you know, our calm response uh, and our reminding them that this is a path and it's one step at a time and we're working, we're going to work on this together. It's incredibly reassuring for them. And it does, you know, it does make people feel stronger in the moment um, and more willing to get back to the task of recovery. What's the playfulness aspect here? Can you give us some of the scenarios perhaps that are that are used in the book? Um, where do we talk about this as being um, playfulness and, and, or, and or role playing? Well, I think um, 
you know, we're, I mean, we're talking about some things that can sound sort of pretty heavy, particularly when it comes to mental health and children, but um, play therapy is uh, a successful approach to working with children because play is children's natural language. Uh, so, you know, they're playing... It's their work they're in some talking. ways, yeah. Um, that's right. That's how they, they work through things is through play. So if we want to join them in that play... And, you know, there's tips in mindfulness at play about how we might do that therapeutically. We can actually run a uh, therapeutic play session in our own home with our own child. We do it once a week for half an hour. It's incredible the benefits that we'll see and the behavioural changes and how much we get to know our kids. Like, you know, we really get to sort of peel away the onion and discover all the ways they see the world, all the weird and wonderful ways that they might see the world. Um, and as they become older children and adolescents and they're less likely to be playing with toys and more likely to be on their phones, uh, those skills that we've learned, uh, they actually can transition very easily to conversations with adolescents. Um, I did that with both of my children and, and um, we did lots of therapeutic play when they were little and when they got older and, and that was no longer their thing, uh, we would go for a walk or we would go to a cafe and, you know, I call it therapy by stealth because teenagers do not want you to be therapizing them. <laughs> so, um, you know, but it's a way of having a conversation that really does get um, get to the bottom of what they're feeling. And I think critically for teenagers, um, the fact that they've experienced already so many times where I have listened and not judged, when things are riskier and scarier as a teenager, um, I'm the person that they're going to come to when things go wrong. Um, so there's a real safety factor there as well. You also make absolutely clear this isn't just about um, reassurance all the time, that there is opportunity for correction here or from getting a message yeah. through. Um, there's one, there's a, there's a good one here where someone says, why didn't anyone pick me for their team? And the parent says, you'd like to be picked for the team, but I notice you don't spend a lot of time practising. If it's important <laughs> you be picked, then you should choose to spend more time on it. If you can't really be bothered, then perhaps it's not really your thing. So <laughs> it's not like everything's all... You you know, um, reassurance and everything's fine, you, you deliver the message a certain way. That's right. And and I would say that to the child because it's honest and it's, it's a, you know, it's going to help them make some decisions around whether they want to devote more time to a sport or whatever it is. Um, but if they then become upset because, you know, <laughs> we want what we want, we want to be picked for the team, but we, we don't really want to put in the effort, Um then uh, then I would switch back to empathic reflections so I can I can keep, keep fluidly keep and creatively yeah. going back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But that way of doing it, that way of setting limits um, is actually very protective of children's self-esteem. Um, well, it's and, also about uh, agency, right? It's the classic Carol tweak. Right. Don't tell them they're a brilliant footballer and they should have been picked. Um, give them agency that, that this is about perseverance and work. Just finally, can we touch on robot comments? We should have done it earlier. It's um, not the ideal uh, process to finish with the what not to do. But can you give us some <laughs> idea of roadblock comments and then perhaps some of the alternative um, phrases that could be used? I've got the book open. I don't know if you have. But, you know, one of the classics here, well, what did you expect? 
<laughs> Who hasn't said that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know I have. Um, so, uh, look, roadblocks, are, it's just a way of thinking about um, how we want to develop a relationship with our children where they will come and tell us everything because there's a real safety factor in that. Um, and, of course, we have the wisdom that they don't have because we're older uh, and there's lots of things that we want to share with them. But, you know, we can shut down those channels of communication. Children won't come to us if their usual experience of us is what I call a roadblock, which is things like um, they tell us that they've had an argument at school or they've, you know, uh, not been invited somewhere or they're upset about something or they're angry about something. Um, our own fears can get in the way. We might think, mm, yeah, I kind of think, you know, that was partly your fault or, or um, gosh, I wish you were a bit more resilient. Um, so judgment creeps into our tone and we will either yeah. start problem solving, well, you should do this or, or um, you know, uh, even praise can be a roadblock. Um, oh, but you're so good at that. If you just you do it a bit more, none of that is actually tuning into what they're feeling in that moment. Um, and if we do that regularly, uh, then um, you know, and so we're doing empathic reflections instead of those roadblocks. Then it really yeah. can change the relationship. That sounds tough. Was the answer? There's another one here. Don't listen to them. They're idiots. Uh, you will recommended <laughs> responses. You want to be part of the group, but it sounds like it's costing you a lot. Uh, very good. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, that is Angela North, co-author of Mindfulness at Play.